0: Hello and welcome to the Sight & Sound podcast. Sight & Sound is the monthly international film magazine published by the BFI. I'm Isabel Stevens, the magazine's production editor,
1: and joining me here are three of our regular contributors.
2: I'm Philip Conkannon, I'm a freelance film writer
3: and programmer.
1: I'm Kelly Weston, I'm a film writer and regular contributor to Sight & Sound.
3: And I'm Nick James, the editor of Sight & Sound.
0: Today, we're talking about Steve McQueen's new film, Widows, which has just opened the London Film Festival. We'll also be picking out a number of highlights from the films in the festival's programme. Widows is a heist movie with a difference. It focuses on the wife of a gangster called Veronica Rawlings, played by Viola Davis. Her husband, Harry, is killed in the opening scene of the film. It's a heist that goes wrong and Veronica has to come up with the $2 million that Harry has stolen. She owes the money to a very menacing gangster called Jamal, and she enlists two of the other widows of the husbands who are killed in the heist to recover the money with her. So, Widows. How much of a heist movie is it?
1: Mm, I would say that it's a sort of semi-heist movie. (laughs) Um, I think more than anything else, it's actually really understated exploration of grief. And trauma, but for the most part, I do think, uh, and I think Steve McQueen sort of gets at this in his interview with James Bell that's in the latest issue of Sign and Sound. It's very much a political movie and it's really compelling. I hesitate to say that it's a departure for Steve McQueen. I mean, I guess he's more known for his uh, more intimate reflections in films like Shame and Hunger, but even though it's really one of his most mainstream films. It definitely bears a lot of, like, distinctive McQueen, stylistic and aesthetic marks. And it's great. I loved it. It's one of my favourite films of the year, I would say. It seems a slightly
0: strange film for McQueen to be making in a Mm. sense because it's so mainstream and it's a genre film Yeah, it
2: is I mean on face value you might think he's kind of selling out and going for the big studio blockbuster movie after these very small scale intimate character dramas but in actual fact this is a passion project for him he saw the original TV series on television as a teenager and has always wanted to make it into a movie and I think he's still exploring the same ideas in terms of how people deal with their grief, how people cope under extreme pressure that he has in his previous films. I guess the key difference is, in his previous movies, they're always focused on one man, primarily. Even though 12 Years a Slave has a very good cast, it's primarily a Solomon Northrop story all the way through. This one is a real ensemble drama. Viola Davis is the nominal lead, but you spend a lot of time away from her as well. I'm looking at what the other women are doing, looking at the political story that's going on on the other side of the movie. And that's a different kind of tack frame. I'm not entirely sure how well all that comes together. It kind of loses focus a little bit when it's not focused on the women for me, but it's still a very impressive piece of work.
3: I'm sort of uh, disagree with you, actually. I, I, I me think too. That, <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, the crucial thing is that this really does work as a genre. thriller, And I can see that some people who recently seen the television series will say the characterisations may feel a little bit slender, but I don't agree with that. I think they are done in that very fast drawn beautifully acted way that you get with the best Scorsese movies you know like the more recent ones like The Departed I think this is on the level with a film like The Departed I think it's got that kind of snap to it it's beautifully shot edited Mm. uh, and the acting is superb and I think what I really like about it is the variety of women involved in this and how they are able to enact uh, with each other as a kind of nominal team almost not quite believable but that's the charm of it really is that they would be like that because they've never done a crime before so they would mm-hmm. be that fumbling their way towards being you know, master criminals
2: I loved all that stuff I loved mm-hmm. all the scenes with Elizabeth Debicki going out and having to figure out how to buy a van and how to buy a gun in a world that she's never entered before in her mm. life. And I loved watching how these women figured things out in terms of casing the joint, where the heist was going to take place, figured out where the place was from the blueprints at first. There's an amazing scene where Michelle Rodriguez visits the architect who designed the plans. A very kind of odd scene, very unsettling scene. Yeah. And I kind of wanted more of that. I felt like the air went out of the picture a little bit every time it went to Colin Farrell and his racist dad, played by Robert <laughs> Bell, Um It just felt a little bit like it was another movie, and they do kind of intersect, but at times they felt like they were running on parallel tracks. Um, and I just wanted to spend more time with these women and see how they were I kind of getting you want together. The TV series.
0: I did find that Colin Farrell's character, the beginning he was played as this sort of very macho, very competent politician, and corrupt as well. Mm. And then towards the end he develops a bit more of a heart, and I couldn't Does he quite understand. A, heart? a little
3: bit more, <laughs> tiny a tiny
0: bit, <laughs> a little bit more, and
3: You'd need a microscope to see
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I just, I didn't buy the heart,
3: really, yeah. that came
1: in towards the end. I actually really like that undertone throughout the film of all this political corruption. All of those themes about the class divide, I feel like are really honest because one of the things I think McQueen understands is that class is, in American society, at least I can speak for that, and I think probably a lot of British people would agree for here too, class is inextricably linked to race. So there is a character in the film, Colin Farrell's character. His political rival, Jamal, is played by Brian Tyree Henry, who most people will know from Atlanta. He also gives um, an amazing performance in If Bill Street Could Talk, which is also at LFF, so you should check it out if you can. And he, he comes to Viola Davis's house. Viola Davis plays Veronica Rollins, uh, the wife of Harry Rollins, Liam Neeson's character who has just died. And it's a really interesting scene because he's clearly very resentful of her. He grew up in a different area of town and to him, Veronica Rollins represents what he sh- aspires to, essentially this upper middle class lifestyle. But actually, uh, you know, without giving too much away, later on we learn that Veronica has had a tragedy in her life that is closely linked to her her being a black woman. So those themes are so um, entrenched in the film and I think a really clever and incisive way. I don't know that many other filmmakers would have been able to pull it off, I think, as seamlessly as he does. I also think we should give a quick shout out to the scene where Colin Farrell is talking to his secretary, I think, in the car and he really maps out uh, Steve McQueen and Sean Bobbitt, the cinematographer, do. The geographical, or I guess the class difference is charted through you sort of going geographically through the different neighborhoods in Chicago. And that scene has, you know, Colin Farrell talking to a secretary but it's shot entirely from the outside and i just think it's really beautifully well done it's um, pure cinema
0: yeah absolutely yeah. also what absolutely i liked about wonderful.
1: it was that it i think the
0: shot sort of gradually panned around and you could see suddenly in the reflection of the windscreen mirror that their chauffeur was black and they were mm. also talking mm. about yes. that sort of issue right in a sort of slightly more privileged way of what do white people and would talk
1: about it exactly and it's so subtle as well because it's never outwardly stated that Colin Farrell's character, should is, is it Peter Mulligan or Jack Mulligan, Jack, Jack, Mulligan. Jack Mulligan. He's a Democrat but you never hear them say that in the film you just sort of you pick up on it through their different like policies and initiatives and as you say Phil like his dad is extremely racist but they are you know a part of what is seen as a liberal party in the United States but
2: it also gets into that idea of the family dynasty in American politics mm-hmm. they talk about how they've had a stranglehold on this area for generations yeah. through, you know his father and now him and the character of Jamal he wants to get into politics because he knows that's where the money is yeah. that's where he can commit the real crimes he wants
3: to get off the street yeah. and really kind of <laughs> go big. Which is American politics in a nutshell. <laughs> exactly. From a British
1: perspective. Uh, no comment from me <laughs> at this point in time.
2: But That is an amazing shot, the external shot of the car, the way the mm. camera is just mounted on the bonnet and I think as a piece of pure filmmaking craft, this is just peerless. I think it's extraordinary work. Sean Bobbitt who's worked on all of McQueen's films is a fantastic cinematographer. Every shot in this film is considered, every shot has weight. The way he frames the women, especially in their private moments Mm. and their moments of introspection, is really powerful. And when it gets to the heist itself, that's the moment where you think it might go all kind of like handheld shaky cam, but there's a real elegance to it as well. When they're climbing up the stairs and the camera just glides up behind them, I think everything is really beautifully put together. And the editing is amazing, that scene Mm. early on where the the heist crashes into their personal lives is so powerful.
3: Yeah. also like the real physical differences, and the racial differences between the actresses. Some of them are stout and strong, others are tall and look very fragile and lanky and and the film plays off those beautifully and that's not just the acting but the way the film plays off those differences is really beautifully done. I
2: love that shot of Elizabeth Debicki walking through the gun auction she's like a head taller above literally everyone else. Yes.
0: (laughs) I quite liked how the film handled sisterhood or not because Mm. I was very much expecting it to be a bit more upbeat and them to be a bit friendly but there was a really sort of interesting tone to the film and it kind of extended wider there was a kind of bleakness Mm. throughout it which I thought was very interesting.
3: Yeah, it also dangles the possibility of them betraying each other, which is always interesting in a crime film.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. I think the Cynthia Arrivo character is very interesting in that respect because she comes into the party very late mm. and she, there's an instant mistrust there with Viola Davis' character and they have this amazing stare down at their first meeting. It's like she has to prove that she's tough enough to stand alongside Veronica to be part of this gang. You know, she, There's an instant kind of initiation there and nothing is easy, there's no instant camaraderie.
1: I think part of it is also that these are the wives and partners of gangsters or thieves, rather, and they probably have had a very, like, insulated life, and it's very clear that they already know, naturally, not to trust anyone, and so they've already, like, built up these walls that are very difficult to break down, and they've also just, like, undergone this very dark tragedy. They've lost their husbands, who I think it's very interesting that Steve McQueen doesn't go the route of making these men... I mean, I think this is probably in the series, which I haven't seen, admittedly, but they're not good men. <laughs> we don't think of them as, you know, honest, honorable thieves or lovable thieves. No, no. Um, they are all very complicated men who these women have loved and lost. And so I think it makes it difficult for them to form connections with anyone because we never really see them with friends until, well, without it, <laughs> later on, there's a scene where Elizabeth Debecky is shown to have like another friend. But throughout the film, they see they're all very isolated women.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, human suffering seems to be something that's kind of integral to cinema.
2: Absolutely, um, and I think McQueen kind of really captures that. Especially, like I said, allowing these women their their private moments. There's an amazing scene where Veronica, played by Viola Davis, you know, she's kept up this strong face the whole way through, and then she just has this moment where she unleashes all her grief mm. in just this desperate cry. And it's the only time you really see her crack in the movie. But yeah. she had to have that moment. She had to release it because it's been there the whole time and she needs to just put on her face again and go out and deal with this heist.
1: Can we have a minute to discuss Daniel Kaluuya? <laughs> <laughs> because this is upsetting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's great in this. He's very frightening. <laughs> I was very struck by him because obviously he just been in Get Out, and he's doing a completely different American accent, a completely different figure, and he pulls it off seamlessly. Like I went in thinking, like, I don't know if I could buy... Because, <laughs> you know, I watched him when he was on I had this idea in my head of as this particular character and obviously he like changed that with Get Out. But I really think that he cemented himself and Brian Tyree Henry as well as really powerful emerging young actors.
3: No, but at the scene where he interviews, shall we say, interview, yeah, (laughs) these two guys, these two kids from the street who've done wrong. And he hears that they're rap artists, so he makes them rap. And it's terrifying, yeah. it's absolutely terrifying. These people Ugh. know that they may be about to be punished and they're rapping.
2: And it's all shot right. in one take that circles around, yes. and the tension is building the whole time. Ugh.
0: So, moving on now to other films in the London Film Festival programme. We've got another director, Zarzanka, art house director, working with genre with Ashes the Purest White.
2: Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Jia uh, Jiazhenka's cinema in general. He tells these intimate character stories, but sets them against the backdrop of how China has transformed over the course of the 21st century. Um, his cinema has transformed in big ways in concurrence with that. And Ash's Purest Why is a film that takes place over the course of 18 years, from 2000 to today. And it follows the character Kiao, I think I pronounced that right, played by Zhao Tao, who's Jia Zhangke's wife, and is his kind of muse. She's in all his films. Mm. She's the wife of a gangster called Bin, played by Lao Fan. And she's in the background at the start of the movie. She's kind of like the gangster's mole. But when she has to intervene, when um, Bin is threatened by other local gangsters and is sent to jail for it, she comes out and the kind of world has moved on without her and she has to really find her own inner resources and turn to petty theft and larceny to kind of get back to where she was. And, again, it's another story about a woman being plunged into a situation that she isn't really prepared for and having to... Except that it's
3: turned upside down because Widows is about female empowerment. Mm. This is about female disempowerment. Mm. It's it's about her losing uh, whatever power she has. Because at the beginning, she's a kind of hostess Mm. of this gangster's club, and that's how she operates. And so she's a kind of a regal figure. It's almost, in Greek tragedy terms, she's a queen. Mm. And in some ways this has the shape of a Greek tragedy in that she has this massive come down and is brought down to earth. And I personally adored the film for the first two hours <laughs> you know, up until the point when she has her comeuppance. And then I felt that it really lost its way after that.
1: Well I think this is my quibble with it, like, is it comeuppance? Because I never felt like she deserved what happened to her. And the film is quite bleak. I don't think that Ajachenka is necessarily making the point that she deserves this or that, you know, the behavior of her partner is okay. But ultimately, it felt like this film that never went anywhere. I think that she's so compelling, and she's the one thing that got me through the film. But other than that, I just thought it just felt quite empty to me at the end of it all, at the end of the two hours and 20 or however long it is. I also think like a good 20 to 30 minutes could have been shaved off. I don't know
2: if it's necessarily like a comeuppance or even a sort of valediction. It's just Mm. where she kind of ends up. I think a lot of jazz cinema is about the displacement of people and how people kind of have to find their way home or find their way to a new kind of home. And there's a lot of talk in um, the film of Django, which is the code of the underworld, and she kind of remains loyal to that code all the way through, even though the other men and he have, doesn't. And he doesn't, exactly. The gangsters kinda of go their own way. And he's punished for it as well in that in a sense. So um it's, it's kind of complicated. And I, I think I think the three parts hang together better here than they did in Mountain's Made Apart. Um it's more coherent. He, there's a real change of pace in that final third, and I can see why people are not really clicking with it.
3: Yeah, there's something about his character which I couldn't quite figure out, which I'm absolutely convinced makes total sense to a Chinese audience, but didn't translate to me. Mm -hmm. Something that I just couldn't work out his motivation. And I wondered, too, whether there's some symbolic weight to the structure of the film, what else it's representing, because is particularly good at showing domestic drama as symbolism Mm -hmm. for much wider themes. Uh, So I think it may just be that I'm missing some of it. Mm -hmm
2: but also as a piece of filmmaking craft formally, I think it's fantastic. Again, the way he uses different camera technologies to represent different times and different aspect ratios just to carry you through this journey and the cinema changes with the change in landscape.
1: It is funny. There are definitely moments of levity that I (laughs) really like and responded to. Um, The UFO guy. uh, Yeah, Yeah, the (laughs) UFO guy was, was phenomenal. Also, there's a guy who attempts to well he propositions her intensely shall we say and she handles that scene so perfectly i really rooted for her and i loved her character but i agree with you nick that like i didn't get his motivations and i also didn't understand her her loyalty or her fealty to him i did i wasn't quite sold on their chemistry or why she would want him and I think because it's such an understated performance from both of those actors I think that worked in some aspects of the film but in terms of translating their love if we want to call it that or passion I didn't necessarily understand it or get it.
3: But we can say that she the actress is Phenomenal mm, in yeah. this film. I mean, yeah. absolutely riveting. She's always great, but this is really this is maybe her no. best work. Yeah. yeah,
0: Is it like Steve McQueen's Widow's comments on contemporary America? Does this comment on contemporary China at all, like some of his past films have?
2: I'm sure, yeah, certainly. I think maybe we didn't pick up all the meaning behind the political aspect of it. But all his films are commenting on basically the way China has transformed so quickly and how so many people are being left behind and or kind of having to find a new way of life within that. Hmm. And that's kind of the overriding theme of his sort of 21st century cinema, especially with things like the dam at Three Gorges, which I think led to a million people being displaced. So it's kind of a reoccurring theme that he keeps exploring.
0: So given that there are so many films in the festival this year, and considering someone like me who's had a baby recently and can't make it to everything that they want to make it to, what are
1: your individual top picks of the festival? I am here to support the girls and I hope that everyone else goes and supports them. Um, it's the latest film from Andrew Bajowski, Uh, I hope I'm not butchering his name too much. Known as the, uh, the father or the godfather of mumblecore. I think this film definitely bears a lot of his distinctive marks as a filmmaker as well. But it's just a really wholesome, beautiful, I hesitate to say quote-unquote feminist. I think it just has really well-drawn women characters who you root for, who you fall in love with. Regina Hall is a shining gem, and this film just essentially proves that. Very few people have known what to do with her, and she's always carried a lot of films, in my humble opinion, but I was happy to see her get her talent showcased in this film. And she's great. She basically, to give you just a bit of a synopsis, it's set in Texas. Uh, Regina Hall is the manager of this Hooters-type restaurant. I don't know how UK audience... How we that, had a Hooters here because yeah. oh. my friend
0: worked in one. Wow.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not for very long. i missed out
0: with
1: Hooters. Um, so she works a, in a Hooters type establishment and it basically just follows her through this a day from hell, basically. But yeah, I really loved it and I hope that if you have a chance to see it, that you go.
2: Um, I was a big fan of a film called Joy, which is playing in official competition here at London Film Festival. It's a film by a director called Sudabe Mortizai, and it follows a group of African prostitutes in Austria. They've obviously had to pay thousands of euros to get to Europe, and then they find themselves having to pay off that debt by working on the streets at night. The debts are anything up to 60,000 euros, and they pay 1,000 euros a month to their madam and the punishment when they don't make their 1,000 euros is very, very harsh. So it's this real sense of enslavement, and not only are they enslaved financially, they're also enslaved by this idea of bad juju, this kind of curse that's put on them in Nigeria before they leave. It opens with a young woman undergoing a ceremony with a witch doctor, and the juju is something that is supposed to protect them against evil forces, but also if they betray the juju, it will have an effect on their family. So they're completely trapped. There's no escape from this. The debt will increase if they need any kind of medical payments or anything. And it's this real sense of vicious cycle, basically.
0: Is there any Joy? Well, (laughs) just the main
2: character, who's played by a woman called Joy Alphonsus. As I understand it, a lot of the actresses are former sex workers who worked with the filmmaker to put this story together. The primary characters are Joy, who's an older woman who's very close to paying off her debt, and a younger woman, Precious, who she kind of has to take under her wing even though she doesn't really want to. And there is this amazing sense of camaraderie among the women when we see them in their private moments in the house they all live in together. But there's also a sense of this real dog-eat-dog mentality that they have to just survive. At one point, Joy says to Precious, look, I will kill you if it means me surviving, and you should do the same thing. You know, nobody trusts each other on the streets, and there is this real cutthroat mentality. And really, the only way out for a lot of these women is to become a madam themselves, and therefore continue the process by bringing their own girls to Europe. So it's a very moving film, very powerful film. It's shot with a real sense of intimacy and authenticity. And I think it's certainly one of the most impressive films in competition this year.
0: And Nick?
3: Yes, um, I just want to mention briefly Roma, because that's just the most (laughs) fantastic film I've seen in ages. So if you get the chance to see Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, don't miss it. But that's getting a general release. So you don't need the festival necessarily Mm. to see that. So in terms of the festival, I want to talk about a Chinese film by uh, director began i'd not seen any of his films before and i saw this film in can and the instructions at the beginning of the film you're given 3d glasses and you're told to put the 3d glasses on when the protagonist puts his 3d glasses on <laughs> and actually that doesn't happen for quite some time and you get introduced to the central character who's a kind of downbeat noirish semi cop character but in fact in this film the narrative isn't particularly significant because it's about this guy's wandering into a very long night of encounters with all kinds of people and he goes deeper and deeper into a kind of dark labyrinth and cinematographically this is the most one of the most astonishing films i've seen for a while i mean it's really visually powerful and it's got lots of wonderful asides and ideas and the key thing about when it turns into 3D, when you put your glasses on, is that's the beginning of one long take that takes you to the end of the film. So technically alone, it's a kind of astonishing film. But alongside that, you've got terrific acting, wonderful ideas. It's beautifully lit. You know, you're not going to see any other film that's anything like it, really distinctive and all of its own.
0: Right. And if you want more recommendations, um, you should check out Sight & Sound's website for our full coverage of the London Film Festival. That's at bfi.org.uk forward slash sightandsounds. Thank you very much to Phil, Kelly and Nick for joining me today. And thank you all for listening.